these rats are going to go work in a minefield. They've got to do it right. You've got, you can't help them do it. They've got to do it on their own. I always ask my team, would you trust this rat to walk behind it? Would you trust your child to walk behind this rat? So we, we are constantly reminding ourselves of this. But I have actually visited the minefields where our rats are working. And it is true that it, it, it takes it to a whole other level when you're walking on that ground that your trained rats have just searched. Welcome to Animalia, where we cover all things conservation, climate justice, and sustainability. What's the first thing that comes to your mind when you think of rats? Is it life-saving heroes that we owe a great deal of gratitude and thanks to? No? Yeah, not surprised. For most of us, when we think of rats, we think of pests. We think of sewers. We think of disease. We think of trash. We cringe. We shiver. However, did you know there's an organization called Apopo that is working with rats to identify things like landmines and detect tuberculosis in humans? Think about that for a second. People trust the detection of landmines from rats so much that they then follow that signal and taking steps that could very literally cost them their lives. Tuberculosis is the most deadly disease in the world. In Africa, due to the lack of sufficient healthcare coverage, it can go undetected, spread quickly in a community, cause massive death. But now rats can quite literally sniff it out and help increase that rate of early detection. Joining us today is Dr. Cindy Fast, Head of Training and Innovation for Apopo. She holds a PhD and master's degree in psychology, specializing in behavioral neuroscience. And now she's taking that field and those learnings and her training quite literally to train rats to do this incredibly valuable and pivotal work. One of Apopo's most famous rats, Magawa, was awarded the PDSA Medal of Honor, a prestigious award given to hero animals in the UK for detecting and clearing over 141,000 square meters of land over four years. We have a link to the ceremony for Magawa in the podcast description that you will for sure want to take a look at. It's incredible. And Apopo is just getting started. You will be blown away by the work they do, and you will leave this episode forever changed in how you view these often misunderstood rodents. Well, yeah, well, why don't we start by having you introduce the work you do, your organization, and just give us kind of a, a you know quick overview of that. Sure. So I work with Apopo, which is a nonprofit organization. Our administrative headquarters in really where we originated from is in Belgium, but our um, operational headquarters is in Tanzania. And that's actually where I'm based as the head of training and innovation. And our main objective is to train rats to save lives. So we work with an indigenous species of African giant pouched rat, which has an incredible sense of smell and a really, really wonderful demeanor and great cognitive abilities to learn very rapidly and exceptional sense of smell like a lot of rodents. 
So we work with these rats to train them to sniff out uh, various things that pose challenges to the lives of people around the world. So we started in 1997 training these rats to detect landmines. And the rats themselves, even though they're giant, are too small or too light to detonate landmines. So they can safely sniff the area. And because they ignore scrap metal, they're actually much quicker and more efficient at identifying the location of these explosive threats compared to manual demining with a metal detector. Since then, we've also expanded. So we have trained our rats to also detect tuberculosis, which is the world's deadliest infectious disease. We kind of forget about it, I think, in parts of the world where it's not a big threat, but in, in large parts of the world, particularly poor resource areas, it's, it's a real threat. And globally, it kills more people each year than HIV, AIDS, and malaria combined. The big challenge is just finding people who have been infected because it's absolutely curable and treatable, but if left untreated, it's very highly contagious, so it spreads rapidly and then, of course, can lead to, to death. So we, we train the rats to sniff out this disease in uh, sputum samples that patients can produce. Then as the head of training and innovation, we are also always looking for new ways that we can train our rats to put their noses to good use. So we have a lot of initiatives underway in training the rats to detect Illegally, illegally smuggled wildlife products to help combat illicit wildlife trade and kind of contribute to conservation efforts there. We also are training rats to detect out different disease pathogens wow. and yeah, even I, I, soil that's been contaminated to help with environmental cleanup efforts. No, it's, it's amazing. When I first learned about your organization, you know, I think myself as someone who grew up, you know, in, in a city, like many others have just kind of an, you know, are raised to have this negative connotation of rats as pests, you know what I mean? And, you know, disease carrying and dangerous and cringy. And, you know, the more I've learned about them over the years, prior to even learning about a popo, you know, you, I've learned like just how intelligent they are and how kind of misunderstood. And then I, you know, learned about a popo and I was like, wow, like this is incredible. You mentioned you started in 97. What was the story around how, you know, it was first discovered that not that rats have a great sense of smell because that's scientifically known, but that they can actually be trained and, 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 you know, worked as, you know, to, to, to spot specific things and, and, and they, they, they can be worked with in this way. Or what was the, what was that initial kind of breakthrough or the, that, that led to that? Yeah, so it was actually, um, a hopeful was an idea that came from a design and engineering student in the university in Antwerp in Belgium. So it was co-founded by our current CEO and Bart Weekins, and um, he actually even has a TED Talk, so you can look it up and Google it and, and hear him tell the story of it. But he um, was looking for solutions for the landmine problem, and he was focusing in Africa um, because the continent is riddled with landmines, and the landmines, you know, not only pose a threat to the, the people's lives living in that area, but it also is a barrier to development. So, you know, these countries that are just getting over all these uh, conflicts really can't continue to develop economically with infrastructure and agriculture because the landmines are there. 
but they also don't have the resources to clear them like other parts of the world. So his, his challenge was to try and solve this landmine problem. So he, he came across a paper where someone had trained hamsters to detect ex this explosives. And um, Bart had had pet, pet rats as a child. And he thought back to that and said, well, hey, if you could train a hamster to do it, I'm sure you could train rats to do it. And there just so happened to be a collaboration between a professor in Belgium and the Sequoia University of Agriculture here in Tanzania. So to this day, we collaborate with SUA here in Tanzania. But at that time, there was a pest management center. So it's funny you bring up rats as pests. So they were studying the rats as pests to farmers and their crops. But the rats are well adapted to the environment. Like I said, they're too light to set off landmines. And they have a very long lifespan, upwards of eight years. So that's just sort of how the idea of working with these particular rats to sniff out landmines started. Can you walk us through, like, what does the process look like to train a new rat? So, you know, how does a rat go from, you know, having no experience doing this work to being deployed in, in the field? Yeah, so we actually apply a lot of fundamental psychology principles from learning and behavior and even neuroscience and olfaction in how we train our rats. So everything is sort of on an empirical foundation. But from the rat's perspective, it starts from the moment that their eyes open at four weeks old. And the first step is to teach them that humans are safe. So this is a process called socialization. And I think with nearly all rats, they're either one of two things. They're either curious and they're very quick to learn when they're curious or they're afraid. And when they're afraid, they're really just trying to survive. So we start off by training the rats that they don't have to be afraid of humans. So they're very, very well socialized. After they're weaned from their mother at about 10 weeks old, that's when the real training starts. And it's very similar to techniques you might hear about with dogs and, and other pets. We start with clicker training, which really just establishes an association between the sound of a handheld clicker and delivery of a tasty food reward. So once the rat has learned this relationship, we can use that click sound to communicate to the rat and, and reward him for doing what we want him to do. The next stage is to just teach the rat about the smell we want him to find. And this is called target training. And we just capitalize on the rat's curiosity at this stage. So for landmine detection, we use a tea egg that has been filled with TNT. And we place it on a soil-covered table. And the naturally curious rat will just approach that and start playing with it. So as soon as the rat makes contact, we click and reward. And through this process of shaping, we get the rat to approach that tea egg no matter where it's placed on the table. The next main stage is discrimination training. And this is really when the rat learns that it's the smell that is important. Up until this point, he's you know just finding the tea egg wherever you put it. Now you put on a tea egg that doesn't contain TNT. The rat goes for that as well, but he's never rewarded for that. So he starts to put together that the only way he can make his trainer give him the food reward is if it's 
smells like that target. So if it smells like TNT for landmine detection training. And that's the basic steps. From there, everything just gets gradually more complicated. So we increase the area the rat has to search. We bury the tea eggs under the dirt. We then transition to real landmines. If we're talking about TB samples, we start increasing the number of samples that the rat needs to evaluate, include a bigger variety of patients and concentrations of the disease progression. So always just gradually more and more complicated and complex. Before our rats are ever deployed, though, they must have really rigorous accreditation tests. For landmine detection, we do our own internal accreditation, but then there's also international standards, and the rats must pass that test from an external accreditation source as well before they can ever set foot on a landmine. Or not on a landmine, but in a minefield. Yeah, I mean, I imagine that accreditation system so important because the stakes are so high. I mean, we're talking actual landmines here, right? I mean, you know, if, they, if, if things are, let's say they're deployed and they're not detecting them and, you know, the handlers could step on an active landmine, right? So, I mean, we're like, the stakes are enormous. It's, I think that that's what kind of blows me away. And, and I think is so important for people to sort of wrap their head around is, you know, essentially people are going out into the field and trusting their lives to these rats, right? Because like they, you know, if again, one misstep from a person and yeah, it's over. And so like, does it ever, I don't know, does that, does the power of that ever kind of, I don't know, dawn on like, I just, I'm going to think how to rephrase this. The fact that the stakes are so high and essentially the team that is out in the field is entrusting their lives to these rats, you know, just the, does the weight of that ever kind of, do you ever think about that and how, you know, how kind of incredible it is that, that that's happening? Absolutely. So that's something we think about every single day. And I know that sounds sort of cliche, but I make it a point of talking with the team about that every day. And when we go to our training sessions, I remind them, these rats are going to go work in a minefield. They've got to do it right. You've got, you can't help them do it. They've got to do it on their own. I always ask my team, would you trust this rat to walk behind it? Would you trust your child to walk behind this rat? So we, we are constantly reminding ourselves of this. But I have actually visited the minefields where our rats are working. And it is true that it, it, it takes it to a whole other level when you're walking on that ground that your trained rats have just searched. In the early days, there was a lot of skepticism about how accurate the rats were. And to really convince the community that we were handing the land over that it was safe, we would host a football match on the ground. So our whole team would go out and play soccer to show them we trust our rats everything is safe. You can use this land. What is the psychological process that a team member goes through in order to trust their lives to these rats for the first time and, and, you know, and follow them in those, in those fields? You know, I think what usually ends up being the the real uh, clincher is when that new handler or new trainer can participates in a blind test with their rats. So during a blind test, there are absolutely no markings 
in the area that signal or indicate where any landmine is at. So the rat absolutely must rely on his nose to find it. And the handler, even up to this point, may have that skepticism. And, and we've seen it time and again. But when you go into this test, you don't know where it's at. And all you can do is rely on your rat's behavior. And as soon as the rat scratches somewhere, you can call off, hey, this is a suspect position. And it's not until after the test is completed that you find out if, if your rat is right. And I think going through that experience, that firsthand experience of, I have no idea where anything is, and then to, show, to see that your rat was 100% accurate really boosts that confidence. So just going through that experience where your rat is 100% accurate without any input from you really sort of boosts that confidence and trust that this animal can certainly do the job and that you, you can you know, walk behind them, that they're not going to leave anything behind. I'm curious, of all the rats that start the training program, what percentage of them successfully make it through? I imagine it's not 100 but just curious and roughly what that is. And my, and my other question associated with that is on, on uh, roughly on average, how many hours of training does each rat require before it's fully deployed in the field? Good question. So we are constantly looking at how we can optimize and refine our training program. Part of that is to uh, really have the most stellar, outstanding rats that can be deployed. But the bigger part of that is to reduce the dropout rate. In 2020, we had a 94% success rate. So 94% of the rats that went into the training program successfully graduated. They passed our internal accreditation and external accreditation. So I think we're doing pretty good in that regard. But <laughs> yeah. Then for the, the number of hours, it, it's actually kind of hard for me to calculate that. I think, you know, from depending on what phase of training the rat is in, they may have an hour or two each day. Like when we're teaching them that people are safe, we might actually just walk around with them and, and show them the world and give them little treats for an hour or two. But once they're really working at, you know, searching our, our training minefield, it's only about 20 minutes a day that they're in training. But the total training from the, the moment it begins when their eyes first open until they get that final accreditation is usually nine months or more. In terms of how the rat communicates when it has spotted a landmine or, or, or you know, sniffed out tuberculosis, what is that communication method? What, what is the actual rat's behavior? that it, you know, and, and how do you, you know, I imagine it's body language of some kind, but what, what, what specifically does that look like? We train rats to perform a specific behavior to communicate to their handler when they have found a target scent. Now, what that behavior is depends on what the task is. So what is it they're trying to find? For landmine detection, the rat simply scratches at the soil surface above the landmine when they smell the explosives. Now, this isn't just sort of a, a casual scratching. This is a pretty vigorous, intent scratching. For, land, or for TB detection, 
the rats are actually trained to sample the, to sniff the medical samples in a line cage apparatus. So sort of this laboratory environment. And there's just little holes in the floor of the apparatus that the rat sticks his nose in to sniff each sample. If he sniffs a sample that smells like TV for him, he just holds his nose in that hole for three seconds and more. Now for a rat who is really excited about working for food, three seconds is like an eternity. So they don't really like to hold their nose there. You'll see them kind of wiggle and they're just holding intently until they get the reward. So it's very obvious. Like this isn't something the rat naturally wants to do, is just hold its nose in a hole for three seconds. Now for other applications, we're developing even different ways that the rat can communicate. We're looking now into training rats for search and rescue for people who have been trapped inside collapsed buildings like following natural disasters. In that case, the rat is working completely beyond the sight of the handler. But we've taught them to pull a little ball that's attached to their harness. So that triggers a micro switch, which can then send a remote signal to the handler. With TB detection, the accuracy rate is, is what? Is it, I mean, is it close to 100% or what, what's, the, what's the accuracy rate that rats have with the, on the TB side? A lot of that depends on what you're comparing it to. So culture is the gold standard for TB detection. And our rats are relatively sensitive compared to, to culture. I can't tell you the exact number right off the top because it's been a while since we've done one of those fully paired accuracy studies to evaluate that. For, for our rats, though, what we really focus on is additional case finding. So they need to be more sensitive than the most commonly used diagnostic in the areas that we work. So where we are in sub-Saharan Africa, the most common tool for diagnosing TB is a microscope. And when using the microscope, you're looking for the bacteria in the sample. So it's not a very sensitive me measure. And the rats are tend to be much, much more sensitive than the microscope. So that's how it is the rats have been able to increase case detection by about 40% over the partner health clinics that we work with. Well, forty percent more accurate than their their current methodologies. No, not necessarily forty percent more accurate, but forty percent more patients found. Oh, because of the speed, because of the efficiency. No, so the way that the system works is presumptive TB patient visits his local health clinic. There, he has the normal WHO endorsed method. The doctor sees them, does the evaluation, maybe X-rays, and you know, the whole survey to try and figure out what is ailing this person. They then collect the sputum sample for analysis in the lab. They analyze all of those using WHO endorsed methods like microscopy. From there, they'll say, oh, this person's positive, this person's negative. As a popo, we then come in and collect all of the samples that have already been analyzed and bring them back to our lab and present them to the rats. Here, the sample that the clinic said was negative, our rats say, no, it's positive. Now we take it into our lab and use additional WHO methods to confirm that the rat is right. We then notify the health clinic so the patient can be notified and be placed on treatment. In that way, we increase the case detection because the rat 
is more sensitive than the microscope. The microscope said this is negative. The rat said, no, this is positive. And then we confirmed it. Got it. So it's, it's, it's more cases are found because of the rat's sensitivity. Exactly. Yep. You got it. Got it. Yeah. It's, and, and, you know, do the people that are, who had their samples detected by popo rats and then were treated, do they ever find out that, you know, the rats played this role in saving their life? Yeah, some of them do. I don't know if every clinic makes it a point of telling each patient because then it also kind of reflects negative on them, you know, like we missed you, but the rat found you. But certainly many patients have been informed. If you go to our website, actually there are case studies on there, not, not case studies, but people have shared their stories. And it's always neat for me, at least, to read those stories, how you know someone had been sick for a long time, the doctors couldn't figure out what was wrong with them, and then finally they find out they, they are indeed TB positive, and it was because the rat found it. And they're, they're so skeptical. They're like, you know, the doctors couldn't figure it out. How in the world did a rat figure it out? But they go ahead and take the medicine and they, they get better. And they're like, you know, a rat saved my life. And some of these people are now taking part in our community organizations in Tanzania where they are advocates for patients. So these are, are, are people who have recovered from TB with the help of the rat, identifying that that's what was wrong with them. And now they go out into the community to raise awareness about TB and to make sure that people who have been diagnosed are following up on their treatment so they can get better. Oh, so they, the rats play an additional role in that case as well. Yeah, that's one thing we really try to strive with is to not just um, you know be a detection tool, but a full-service provider. So we're not just saying whether it's positive or negative, but we're trying to also support that linkage to care. I know, obviously, it doesn't, it doesn't work like this, but the visual in my head right now, which I'm enjoying, is someone walks into a doctor's office and there's, there's no doctor, but there's a rat in uniform <laughs> waiting for them at the table. <laughs> and yeah, I, I mean, of course, it doesn't work that way, but it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a warm idea to imagine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think it's funny, but you know, as you mentioned, Rats kind of have a bad rap, and a lot of people are very squeamish around them and see them as a vermin and pets. So I don't think that a majority of people would be excited to see that. No, I, I don't think so either. I would, but I don't think I'm in the majority of people. Well, speaking on that topic, for those that, you know, the majority of people that have only had negative experiences or kind of negative understanding of rats uh, and don't know anything about the species, and you know, and I know this question is could could take a whole podcast. So forgive me for asking a quite a broad, deep question with a quick answer. But what it's the short version of kind of describing to the average person the intelligence of rats and just how incredible these animals are, especially for people that only think of them as as pests and and, nu- and, a, and a nuisance? So that is, you're absolutely right. That's a very loaded question. I think what's hardest for me to answer briefly is their intelligence. They are just so incredibly clever. And in a large part, I think that's what contributed to them being pests because they are opportunistic and they learn so quickly and rapidly. 
that they take advantage of opportunities to get food. They're very much driven for, for food and, and they learn quickly when food is the reward or the outcome. But in terms of personalities, they're very social. There has been some recent scientific evidence that they even laugh, which I find to be very endearing, that if you tickle them, they will, they will laugh in the ultrasonic range. One of the first African giant pouch rats that I met when I assumed this role, his name was Courage, and when I scratched his back, he arched it up and stood on his toes and leaned into me like you would imagine a cat or a dog would do. They, they really are very social with one another and tend to live in communities. Yeah, I don't know what else I can say briefly about just how amazing they are. Yeah, and I think, I think the point you made is really important, is that their intelligence is why, you know, they can be such a you know a nuisance to people because they're very elusive. They figure things out. I've dealt with that myself. Is I have I've had a rat sort of infestation in my home before, and I didn't want to kill them with poison in the ways that like you know the pest control deals with it because I just didn't think it was right. And I tried for weeks to just capture them with traps I would set up, and they would outsmart me every time. Like, like, like every single thing I would set up that I was really proud of, I was like, this is going to get them in this cage. Like, nope, they somehow got the food and didn't get trapped. And I, and I, yeah, they, they, this point blank, they, they outmaneuver me every time. (laughs) There's nothing I could do. (laughs) You know, that's one of the biggest challenges we have training the rats here too, is they just are so clever that if there's any little shortcut they will learn it. So we have to constantly be on our toes to make sure that we're following our training protocol as precisely as possible and not accidentally giving the rats any clues that they're they're banking on. They really are just natural problem solvers. I mean, I, 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 I've joked before that I wish a lot of the people I know, including myself sometimes, were as good at problem solving as rats are. Because I get in, you know, you know, kind of vicious cycles and circles where for different emotional reasons, I, I can't solve a problem. I wanted to ask, I imagine there are a couple, you know, kind of famous Apopo rats in the in the sort of, you know, 20 plus year history of the organization. Uh, are there, you know, a couple that just stand out to you? And because and, it sounds like you, you give them names and, they, you know, like you said, they have personalities and you work, the team works so closely closely with them. Uh, and has such a close knit relationship. What are a couple of the you know I don't know more famous rats within the team and organization that that come to mind? Well, for me, my favorite rat has always been Courage because he was one of the first rats that I met, and I just love his name for the line of work that he's in as a mind detection rat, mm. and he just was full of personality. But I think on a on a more global scale, probably our most famous rat is Magawa who earned the PDFA gold medal last year for acts of heroism in, in being a mind detection rat. Oh, wow. What's, can, can you tell me more about that medal? Yeah, so it's PDFA. I should be able to tell you all the details, and you can, you're catching me late on a Friday. So they're, they're a nonprofit organization as well in the UK that is focused on um, providing veterinary care for animals and the best health and welfare. 
And for many, many years, they've given medals to service animals. So they have two different classes, one for animals who are working within the armed forces, like military and police. And the other, actually, I don't know if police are in that category or not, but the other is civilian animals that have shown devotional um, or outstanding devotion to duty and heroism. And in all of the years that PDSA has given this, this medal, it, it's always been dogs that have been the award, which you can imagine. But for the first time ever, last year, uh, a purple rat Magawa won that gold medal. So it was really, it was really such an honor, but it was also super cute because they had to have the gold medal specially tailored to fit on his harness. It was far too big. <laughs> So we had to outfit it on him. And he was just so photogenic when he was getting his gold medal, medal pictures and everything. So that that really stands out. That's incredible. Um, I, I, I'm working on a, a podcast right now around wolves. And it's a, it's a multi-series. And I've done multi-episode series. And I've done a lot of research and interviews in the field. And one of the top wolf biologists, we had a really fun and interesting conversation on like discussing if we felt if he felt wolves can feel pride and you know of course as a scientist he he won't say concretely yes or no but you know he he used dog behavior of like pretty sure dogs can feel pride and we've seen that because we live with them and 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 so by deductive reasoning wolves probably can too but but I, yeah, I, I wonder if Magawa in that in that moment was feeling any sense of pride, and we'll never know because we can't know what's going on in an animal's head. But I like to think that they can, and in that moment, Magawa was feeling a little bit of that. Yeah, I, I really like the way that you described that, and and I share that sentiment. I'd like to think that he was, but honestly, I think he was just really excited by all the attention he was getting and all the tasty treats. <laughs> yeah, the treats, the treats are probably the top priority. <laughs> There's been a lot of research that shows that rats have a lot of higher order cognitive abilities than what a lot of people would ascribe to them. You know, maybe some evidence of altruism in their behavior, but even some of my earlier research showed that they're, they're capable of some forms of imagination even. So I, you know, I, I think it would be very hard to say whether or not they were feeling pride and what that would be like for a rat or a non-human animal, but it's certainly not outside the realm of possibility. Well, can you, that, that last part was just intriguing. The, the research you, you said you have been doing around the, the sort of more advanced cognitive ability. Can you just, can you touch on that just briefly? Yeah, this goes back to some of my earlier work, working with lab rats, actually. And what we found is, you know, in, in humans, when you get older, you, you suffer from cognitive decline in varying degrees. You know, on one end of the spectrum, you have like full-blown Alzheimer's disease, right? But in, in other areas, you just have foggy thought processes and things like that. So I was studying that specific process there of how the cognitive decline is specifically affected. And one of the things discovered just through reading all the different work that had been done is that people suffering from cognitive decline really have troubles imagining alternative realities or alternative states of 
existence or of being, right? So if you give them a problem to solve where there's a very clear cut, if A, then B, and A happens, they can draw the line and tell you, well, then there's B, the sort of logical argument. But if you give them something where, you know, there's a lower probability and there's some ambiguity, they really struggle with this. So I just designed a, a whole series of experiments with my rats where I kind of gave them the same sort of problems. And basically the, the, the very simple design is the rat learned that when a light came on, if they pressed the lever, they would get a tasty food reward. And if two lights were on, pressing the lever would not give them the reward. So once they've learned this discrimination, I then just covered up one of the lights and turned on the other one. Now, if the rat is just making his decision based on what's present, then a single light is on and he should press the lever. But if he can reason about the possibility that that other light is on, it's just that it's now been blocked from his view, he's imagining that possibility, then you might expect he would not press the lever. And in fact, that's what the rats did. Whenever I would cover up that second lever, they reduced their lever pressing. And I could flip the contingencies too, right? So maybe one light means don't press the lever, but two lights means do press the lever. Now, if I cover up that light, there's only one on that the rat can see. He should not press the lever. But if he can imagine that maybe that other one's on, I just can't see it. Now he should press it. And indeed, that's what they do. Wow. Yeah, it really, I mean, hearing you talk about it and understanding even, you know, more than I, you know, knew going into this chat about rats and their cognitive ability and their social intelligence and their even emotional intelligence, it, it just makes it so sad what has, you know, been done for just decades and decades in laboratories and, and testing things on rats and the sort of mindset a lot of people have of it's just it's just a rat you know what i mean yeah and i think there's been great advances in that area as well i mean there's a lot of effort to replace any animal in research with alternative models particularly as machine learning and artificial intelligence is developing in the field of psychology a lot of these sorts of experiments can be done there but there's still a lot about the physiology that i think requires the animal model to be able to, to really learn something meaningful or have some, some insights. But again, though, I think there are so many regulations that are really protecting the animal welfare. You know, some of the happiest rats I've ever seen were actually inside the labs versus you know, out on the streets where they're, they're really fending for their lives every day and everyone's out to get them. Absolutely. Um, last question. What and of all the sort of upcoming projects and and things that you're researching, what is the most ambitious thing that you think rats could detect and 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 do that maybe is in the realm of possibility? And just curious what what that is. Oh, that's a really great question. So. You know, what we've discovered with our rats is basically anything that has a unique odor profile, we can train them to detect. That's kind of the easy part, though. The harder part is trying to identify how the rat is going to do that 
depending on the scenario. And the other thing we always look for is if the rat can offer a competitive advantage in that sector or in that field. So we're really not interested in um, competing like with scent, scent detection dogs, sniffer dogs do amazing work. And there's so many applications where a dog is really much better suited than a rat. But there are other scenarios where maybe the rat's small size and its independence from its handler, so they don't pair bond. They're absolutely social and friendly with the handler, but they're transferable between handlers. Where those sorts of strengths might actually give them an advantage. So the two that I think of right away are kind of interconnected. And on the surface, they don't appear that way. But once you start thinking about how we're going to train the rats to do this, there is some relationship. So the first one is training the rats to detect uh, smuggled wildlife products. So here we're aiming to get the rats capable of searching shipping containers where large volumes of this illicit material is being trafficked across borders, particularly a lot of endangered species coming off the, out of the African continent. And we've already successfully proved the principle we can train our rats to smell these different products. But now it's about how do we position the rat to be able to sniff a shipping container vent. And this is where I think the rats have an advantage because of their small size. We can lift them up to stacked containers, which you can't easily do with a And you can also open the container and instead of having to take the time resources of unloading it to confirm that there might be something in there, you can just send a rat in. And we've developed some supportive technologies for the rats where they will carry a little camera backpack so you can see what it is the rat is smelling while he's navigating in there. And it's also set up with motion sensors so we can track the rat's relative position inside. And then I mentioned we've trained the rats to pull the little ball to signal remotely, hey, I smell something. So you can get video evidence as well that might help with prosecuting these transnational criminals who are smuggling the, the wildlife products. The, the flip one that I think is related then is for search and rescue. When natural disasters happen, earthquakes, explosions, there are so many victims trapped beneath that rubble. And there's a lot of challenges with our current technologies in trying to penetrate that rubble and find where someone's at. And the clock is ticking. You've got to get to these people. So we've, we're looking at training our rats to be able to get down inside that collapsed structure and seek out people who are trapped wearing that backpack. So then it can also open up lines of communication from the surface. And current search and rescue efforts, you know, maybe they can use ground penetrating radar, um, but it's really expensive and it requires complete silence and quiet in that area. And it's very chaotic scene. Maybe you can send in a robot, but you have to guide the robot. And usually that's tethered, so it can only go so far. Or it can't send a signal out through all of these tons of rubble. So all of that, I think, puts the rat at a nice advantage. And you know, I, I look forward to the day when we can send our rat in somewhere and save somebody's life, in, in that way, at least. Yeah, in that way, yeah, because they, they already are saving lives today. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you for the time. 
thank you for the work you're doing, what you've dedicated yourself to. It's, it's really inspiring and yeah, it's just, it's just awesome. And, you know, I, it, it's just great to, to see, you know, uh, humans, I mean, I'll just say it like kind of bluntly, just humans working with an animal like a rat in such a productive way that's so mutually beneficial when there's like such a history of that not being the case. Although, you know, as uh, there are a lot of mutual benefits rats and humans provide each other that, you know, I think go unknown by the average person. And we are very symbiotic in, in a lot of ways, but just, you know, directly mutually beneficial and, and directly positive. It's, it's inspiring to see. So, so thanks for the work and, and the, you and the team are doing, it's really, it's really awesome. Well, thanks so much for the, the opportunity to chat and, and talk with you about this. I guess one thing that I would like to add, though, is you know, something you said there really struck a chord is that at Apopo, we really talk about our rats as our colleagues. So their health and welfare is always our top priority. And all of our trainers and handlers, you can see the smiles on their faces. They love to work with our rats. So I think I share that sentiment as well, that I'm very happy to talk about our rats and spread the word. And if anybody wants to learn more about what we do or even help support us, you can you can sponsor one of our rats if you just go to apopo.org. Yeah. And we'll we'll put the link in the in the podcast description. Hopefully those of you listening can <clears throat> make a contribution. Popo is a nonprofit. So all the contributions make a big difference. So yeah. Well, awesome. Thank you, Cindy, for your time. Again, thank you for your work. It's, it's really inspiring to see. Yeah, absolutely. And thanks again for being willing to put up with the internet woes and waking up super early. But if you have any other questions or anything that I can do, I'm happy to, to chat. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah.